We are going to be in Mark this morning. We were in Matthew last week, but we're jumping over to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5, and we have a a large chunk of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, verses 21 through 43. And it's two stories of healings, two stories of healings that are based on faith. And one thing I want to let you know is we... As we read through it, and there's going to be some times that the word healed is going to come up in the text. You know, first is a, <clears throat> a man who comes and asks Jesus to uh, lay hands on his daughter, and she'll get well. In fact, that's get well and made well, not healed. Uh, get well. That word, uh, that phrase is actually translating the Greek word for save. You, you could save somebody, and, and, and we have translated it. Saving isn't always in Scripture uh, salvation. You know, you, you can be saved from danger. You can be saved from financial collapse. You can be saved from poor health. I want you to know as we're reading it through, when you see that, that, re, that desire to be for the daughter to get well, or there's a woman who will desire to be healed and to get well, when those words show up, they're translating the word that we use for save as well. Because in this passage, the idea of being healed and the idea of being saved are very close. In fact, there are many times when Jesus has in, in Scripture, uh, instead of healing somebody outright, He forgives their sins. Or even here, He'll say to the woman that your faith has, we translate it, made you well. Your faith has saved you. And we can understand why the translators might not want to go that far because we don't know whether or not these people were truly saved in the sense that they believed in Jesus Christ. But the idea is connected. That as they desire to be healed, they also have a need and a desire to be saved. And as we go into this, uh, I want us to, to have those two different ideas going on in our minds. Let's hold them together that, that we look sometimes for healing from Jesus, but we also know that we have the need to be saved from our sins. And my, my question for us as we enter into this thought in this passage is how do you need Jesus today? Where are you in your life, in your relationship with Jesus? Are you in a position where you need healing, and we're not necessarily talking about physical healing. Sometimes that can be spiritual. Sometimes that can be, uh, I, I'm struggling with a sin, and I need His help to overcome this. Maybe I'm struggling with bitterness against another person, and I need healing in that relationship. I need healing in my attitude. It's not always necessarily give me strength to walk or fix the fact that I'm blind. We need God's healing hand in many ways. But the other way that we need Him is through salvation. And, and you may be at a place today where you are lost in your sins. And you need Jesus for salvation. You might not even recognize that at this moment, but my prayer would be that if you're in that place, you would recognize it by the time we're done this morning. We're going to go ahead and... and, and um, it's such a large passage, I am tempted to chop it up 
But we're going to read it through, and then we're going to focus on a few things. Just because you've got to understand, the story, uh, it starts with one person, they get interrupted, then they finish it up, but there are parallels all throughout. And I want us to pick up on the, the parallels as we read it, and I think if I were to break it up, we would lose those a little bit. So uh, let's go through this together. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Please follow along as I read. When Jesus had crossed over again, uh, last time we saw him, they crossed over the Sea of Galilee. There was a big storm. He healed a man from demon possession, sent the demons into some pigs. The people didn't like that because the pigs ran into the water and drowned themselves. They got rid of Jesus. They told him to go away. So he's crossing over again, going to a new place. All right. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Literally, that she will be saved and, and live. And he went off with him. And a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had been, had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. She was saved of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of all your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, 
the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. So we have two healings side by side and, and, and very strange healings, you might say. There's uh, this uh, push forward of, uh, of two women, two female human beings. Let's just say one a little girl, one an older lady. How old the, the woman is, but we do know that she has been afflicted for 12 years. And did you catch that Jairus' daughter is also... And Jesus had 12 disciples, and there were 12 tribes of Israel. So there's some importance going on here in how long this woman has suffered and how old this little girl is. That they have, uh, as long as the woman has suffered, the little girl has been alive. And on the same day, their lives come to a point where the, the woman has completely run out of options. And also, the little girl is at the point of death. And, and, and we don't know why the little girl is at the point of death, but she is, she is there. And in fact, halfway through the story, as Jesus is stopped by the, first, by the woman, the people come from Jairus' house and say, well, your daughter is dead. And so Mark even creates this drama of maybe if Jesus hadn't been delayed. Maybe if He hadn't stopped to try to figure out things about this woman, maybe the daughter would have lived. You know, Similar to Mary and Martha with Lazarus, that if you had only been here. And yet we know from two weeks ago with the centurion that Jesus didn't have to go to Jairus' house. The centurion proved to us that Jesus has the authority over sickness and illness to just say the words and it will be done. And yet Jairus asks him, come to my house, lay your hands on my daughter that she might be saved and live. And Jesus is willing to go. Jesus is willing to do what Jairus is asking of him. He doesn't say, oh, you of little faith, if you'd only asked me to say the word, it would have been done already. No, he goes. He goes with him. And as we're looking at this and the, the, the desperation of both people, I want to I ask us what will it take to turn us to Jesus? They both, in, a, in the same day, turn to Jesus. The woman, completely at the end of her rope. Jairus, completely desperate for the last possible straw to grasp. What will it take to turn us to Jesus? That, that we would go to Him for help. That we would go to Him for salvation. That we would go to Him for healing and for help with our sins. How long does it take you? Is it something that starts out immediately? Or do you try to do things on your own? For a while? Do you try to get better on your own? Do you try to solve your problems on your own? Or do you go to the Lord for help? What will it take to turn us to Jesus?
Sometimes it takes us falling all the way down, doesn't it? No, there's no other options. And we dig ourselves in such a deep pit that there's nowhere else to look but up. And we finally turn to Jesus. I remember hearing a story about a, a, a pastor who uh, had gone blind and he was so angry and so frustrated and he went on a walk for some reason out into the woods and he was just yelling at God and angry at God and, and, and shedding all of his, his venom at the Lord. And as he's doing this, he trips and he falls down an embankment and he's sitting in a pond and it's cold and he's wet. And he finally is, and he, he, he runs out of anger and he realizes just how ridiculous he is sitting there in the dark because he can no longer see, yelling at God, frustrated at his life. Why did God bring him here? And yet, he is the one who stumbled and lost his way and found himself in the pond. And he finally says, Okay, God. Okay. Have you ever gotten to that point? where you just drove yourself to the end and you finally just said, okay, God, okay. Is that what it takes to turn us to Jesus? Sometimes, yes. I would hope, though, as we walk with the Lord, it wouldn't take us that long. But sometimes it does. And, and that's what it took for Jairus and this unnamed woman that Jesus calls daughter. We see in, in the very beginning, Jesus is stuck on the seashore with a whole crowd of people. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus comes to him. And he implored him earnestly saying, my daughter is at the point of death. Now, maybe he is ecstatic and thrilled that Jesus just showed up on the shore because he is out of options. But he comes to Jesus, and just, just think, a synagogue official, a ruler of the synagogue, they had, uh, this was not a, a religious position, this wasn't uh, a priest or a Pharisee type position, this was a, a lay position. This was a person who had a, a, a job and he had work that he had to do, and on top of that, he was kind of the president of the synagogue, is, is what we would think of him as. Or maybe the the head deacon. You know, he was the treasurer, maybe. He was one of the officials that took care of things in the synagogue. Because a lot of these little towns, the, the synagogues were just a, a place where the men of the church, of, of, the, of the faith, would come together. The church, uh, I keep wanting to say church. Israel, the Jewish people, the men would come together and they would worship in the synagogue and they would teach themselves and each other. Because they couldn't always get down to the temple and so they gathered together. And this is a man who was responsible for the running of that synagogue. And he was, he was an important person. He would have been a trusted person in that community. And yet, here he is, fighting through a crowd, begging Jesus, come to my house and save my daughter. He's probably got a lot of thoughts. He's a respected man. A serious man. A person who follows the Torah. And yet, his daughter is on the point of death. And so he is willing to humble himself. He is willing to leave his position and go to Jesus on the seashore and beg him, come to my daughter's house. He is going, and, and, and Jesus may be teaching people, he may be healing people. And this man says, Jesus, 
please leave these people. Stop what you're doing. Come to my house and heal my daughter. She is at the point of death. But lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. So obviously the man had heard something about Jesus and he had faith to believe that Jesus, if he would come and lay his hands on her, that she would be made well, that she would be saved, and that she would live. And that's his desire. And so Jesus is willing to go with him. And then we're introduced as Jesus is on his way to a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. And what does it tell us? And, and literally a, a, a flow of blood. She has had blood that has been uh, flowing in her body for 12 years. She has gone to numerous physicians. In fact, she has given up all of her money. She has paid for physicians left and right. She has no more money left. She has endured much. She has suffered much at the hands of physicians and their attempts to heal her. She has suffered in her desire to be healed. She has paid all that she has. She has spent all that she had. And not only was she not helped at all, but she had gotten worse. Now that's a horrible place to be. That is a horrible place to be. Where you go to the doctor and you try everything you can, and not only does their treatment not make you better, but their treatment makes you worse. I've seen people with cancer especially. Because the cancer, you can't kill the cancer without doing some hard stuff to your body. Sometimes that hard stuff that you're doing to your body, it doesn't just affect the cancer, it affects all your healthy cells as well. And you can do great damage to your body in your attempts to get rid of the cancer. And, And most of the time, a lot of the time, more and more in the modern age, it seems to work. But not always. And you can spend all you have and you can... Go to the doctors and find yourself worse off than had you never gone to the doctors in the first place sometimes. And this is where she is. It's not made her better. If anything, she has gotten worse because of it. And she is out of options. Both of them uh, have been brought to the end. To the very end of their hope. To the end of their means. They have nothing else left. They come to Jesus. That's what it took to turn them to Jesus. What will it take us to turn to Him? Hopefully, not as much as it did for them. The first healing is the second person we're introduced to. It's the woman. Uh, she touches Him. She thinks to herself, if I just touch His garments, I will get well. And Mark, he does this thing throughout his Gospel. He uses the word immediately a lot. Everything in Mark is happening right then, right now, fast, fast. Things turn around on a a dime. It's moving with Mark. Okay? And Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and, and, and everything is very tight. And so here's a funny thing Mark is actually a longer passage. This passage is longer in Mark than it is in Matthew, a much larger Gospel. So whenever we see Mark, who we we believe Matthew may have used, Mark in some ways, in his creating of his gospel. When you see somebody like Matthew or Luke expound Mark, that's one thing. But when you see them actually become shorter than Mark, that's an interesting thing to happen. That Mark spends more time and more of his, uh, the percentage of his gospel on this than Matthew did out of his gospel. But 
immediately, immediately is the language that keeps happening. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed. She, she felt this, this worked. But not only that, immediately in verse, 20, uh, verse 30, we're told Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth. He, he knows he's got power. He feels it in his body. And he perceives that it has gone out of him. He perceives that something has left his body that he didn't know about, that he didn't plan. It happened without his authority. It happened and he stops and he turns around and says, who touched my garments? Now he means who touched my garments and was healed. His disciples, and Mark includes his disciples, are kind of sarcastic. They're like, do you see? Everybody is touching you, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? What do you mean, who touched me? And and here's the thing is that uh, all these people were touching Jesus. Not everybody was being healed. But one person who had faith to be healed, who thought, if I can just touch the garments that he wears, I'll be healed. Who told her that? Nobody. Did she get permission from Jesus? No. No. You know, even today now, drill instructors have to ask permission of the the recruits in Marine Corps boot camp. It's, a, it's 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 crazy. This woman doesn't ask Jesus for permission to touch him. She just does it, and he perceives the power to have left him. How does that happen? This is something that tells me that the power that Jesus was operating in was not necessarily His own. Jesus, when He took on flesh, when He became human, He set aside certain gifts, or what we would might call gifts, certain attributes of His that were His as being God in the Spirit. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Word of God made flesh. And when the Word of God was made flesh, He set aside to become fully human. Though He is still fully God, He set aside the ability to do certain things in His own power. And that's why He tells us, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. He says, I don't say anything that I haven't heard the Father say. Jesus doesn't do all this stuff because He's superhuman. Jesus does everything He did. He did through the power of the Holy Spirit come upon Him at His baptism. This is why Jesus can turn to His disciples and say, greater things than I have done, you will do. It is not about Him that He came like Superman and had all this inherent ability. No, He laid it all aside, became human, perfect human, but fully human and fully God, but not with the ability to just think himself to be anywhere he wanted to be. Not the ability to live without food. As spirit, he needs no rest, he needs no food, but as a man, he needs to eat. As a man, he needs to sleep. And as a man, he needs to rely upon the Holy Spirit's guidance and power 
And how else do we explain that a woman came up and touched him and power escaped out of him without his say-so? Now we can say, well, he did say so, he allowed it to happen, and everything else is just dramatic effect on Jesus' part. Maybe. But I think the greater answer is the Holy Spirit who is at work in and around and through Jesus, making Jesus aware of the thoughts of other people, giving Jesus the ability to... As Jesus told His disciples a little bit later, they had a, a boy who was demon-possessed and they, they couldn't cast out the demon. And they asked Jesus, why couldn't we? And He says, this kind only can be cast out through prayer. He said you needed to pray for it. Which tells us that Jesus, when He was dealing with this this situation, He is praying to the Father that this demon might be cast out. Not just doing it because He feels like it, but praying God do this. Father do this. And so here we see that this woman is healed by power that is in Jesus. It is connected to Jesus, but somebody else decided to do it. And I think the one that decided to do it is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did it because the Holy Spirit knew the woman's heart. The Holy Spirit knew her desire for healing and knew her faith. And that's why Jesus, when she is healed, He is able to say to her afterwards, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He's not saying I've healed you. I have made you well. Sometimes we see Jesus say that. He says, look, I've healed you. Go and don't sin anymore. I've made you well. Don't don't muck it up. But here He says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. I believe it was because the Holy Spirit was working in her and in Jesus and through Jesus and the Holy Spirit sent the power. Because Jesus is operating 100% and fully with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And the, 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 the truth that we see in this for our lives as well is that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of those who have faith. That those who have faith can see the Holy Spirit working in their life and will experience the Holy Spirit working in their life. And I, I phrase it this way and not say uh, those who believe. It's quite frankly, the word believe um, does not have an oomph in the English language for us. We can say, I believe that was a good meal. I believe that this kind of accounting is the best way to do your accounting. You know, Believe uh, as a preference is not what Scripture is talking about when we talk about believe. That's why, do you have faith? Having faith means you bank all of what you are on it. You, you live based off of it. This woman didn't just have this idea of maybe this will happen. No, she gave all she had in faith that if I could just get close enough and touch Jesus. And think of of this, that a woman who has an issue of blood as she has a hemorrhage, she would have been ceremonially unclean. She would not have been allowed to be around other Jewish people. For her to touch Jesus could be seen as an offense to Jesus. The, the Jewish people already in, in this time frame, women were not viewed, I, I, I hate to say it, but women were not viewed as equals with men. There were even Jewish 
uh, rabbis and, and teachers who would pray, I thank you, God, that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile, a man and not a female. There were even the view, the belief, and the church. that the I'm not saying it was a right view, but I'm saying people had these ideas that the way for a woman to be saved was become as much a man as she could. We didn't know they were so progressive back then, did we? It was all fallacy, but it was the way people thought. And so for Jesus to show such care for women, on and on again throughout the Gospels, in our day, we look back and it's kind of not that, you know, it's not that exciting, it's not that special. But in Jesus' day, he was treating women in uh, vastly different ways than the culture did. He honored them in ways that nobody else would. And he, this woman came and touched him, and immediately she is healed because the Holy Spirit was at work. And the, the same is true in our lives as well, that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of those who have faith. If you have faith to believe in Jesus, faith to trust that God's ways are right, even though, and, and faith is when our eyes say one thing and our, our senses and our thoughts say one thing, but God's Word says another. Or the Holy Spirit convicting us in our hearts says another, and we trust Him over our own understanding. In fact, uh, we're gonna, in, in about four weeks, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 3 as our memory verse to remind ourselves to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on your own understanding. That is faith. To not lean on your own understanding, your own way of doing things, but to say, I'm going I'm to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in His ways. The Holy Spirit is at work in those who live that way. Now, as this is all happening, remember, why are we walking somewhere? Jairus, the synagogue official, he's trying to get Jesus to his home so that his little daughter can be saved. He has faith that he went to ask Jesus, come heal her. He has faith, and yet a group of people come to him. Uh, and while Jesus is still speaking, verse 35, they come from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? She, your daughter has moved out of the realm of his sovereignty. There could even be a little bit of, we told you not even to go on this wild goose chase. Why, that, that, that could be implied on the why trouble the teacher anymore. Notice the focus on teacher. Remember when the scribe came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I want to follow you. Whereas the disciples say, Lord, we are perishing. So there's this, there's this attitude, this view that kind of puts Jesus down. Just calls Him a teacher, not, not Lord. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Why bother him? Your daughter is dead. And there's even the implication you weren't even there. You were chasing after this dream. You believed in him and, and she's dead now. Why, why trouble him anymore? You can, can you just imagine what uh, Jairus must have been going through in that moment? How that must have felt to hear these words? And yet... What does Jesus do? He says, he's overhearing, and it's literally, um, you know, it's, it's like he, he's disregarding what he's hearing. 
He's hearing what is not meant for him, and, and he isn't obeying it. He overhears it, what is being spoken, and then he says to Jairus, he says to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Can you imagine being told that? You just heard that your daughter is dead. And he overhears it and he interrupts and he interjects himself into it and he says, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. Now, why did Jairus come to Jesus? He was afraid his daughter was dying. I can imagine as he's trying to get Jesus to his house, he's just hoping they can walk just a little bit faster. You know, there are so many times when I want to get place early enough so that I'm there and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm... so afraid while I'm driving, you know, will I get there in time? Because I want to make sure I'm there early. I can imagine Jairus probably was feeling that way, that angst of we're not moving fast enough. And yet Jesus says, don't be afraid any longer, only believe. And this is another difference with the Gospel of Matthew. If you were to, this afternoon, if you want to go and look at Matthew uh, chapter 9, you'll see that Jairus comes to Jesus and says, my daughter just died. But come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And so Matthew gives Jairus faith to come and ask Jesus to raise her from the dead. Mark creates, in the way he relates this story, he is creating this tension. And I say creating just in the way he wrote it, whereas Matthew took the tension out. It's all dependent on the author and their desire and what they're trying to communicate. Because by this time in the story, the daughter is dead. And when Jesus shows up, the daughter is dead. So it's perfectly okay that Matthew said, for Jairus, my daughter just died. But Mark is having it happening in this journey. Because Jesus is calling Jairus to greater faith, to continue to believe and not to be afraid any longer. And, and, And... the thing there to think of is how often do we feel like uh, it's too late? You know, you, you can't close, there's no point in closing the doors once the horse is out of the barn, right? Sometimes it's just too late. I, I needed Jesus to show up last week. Today it's too late for me. I needed this to happen and God didn't make it happen. We feel like somebody is too far gone sometimes. They're not dead but they feel too far gone and it feels too late. And Jesus' statement to Jairus here, and, and as, as the Holy Spirit works in the lives of those who have faith, and sometimes it feels like Jesus is too late, what Jesus is telling Jairus here is that too late is not too late for Jesus. We might feel like it's too late. You know, there, there's the statement that Jesus is rarely early, but always on time. Well, newsflash, sometimes He's late. But too late is not too late with Jesus. He is late for us. He is late for Jairus. He is late for Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. But He is not too late for His own purposes. Now this doesn't always happen. Sometimes these are rare occasions, but they show us who He is and His abilities. So that we can have faith as we wait and it feels like it's too late. Well, it's not too late. And sometimes when Jesus doesn't show up for you in a certain place, 
is because He is trying to move you to the new place. But it is not too late for Jesus. And that is what He is trying to tell Jairus here. And so what does He do? He, he, he ditches the crowd. He ditches most of His disciples that are with Him at that time. He takes just three. Peter, James, and John. And they go to the house. And as they come into the house, he sees a great commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And this was, this was actually expected. This was the way it was. A poor person in Jesus' time was expected to still hire at least a couple of flute players and one wailing woman. You'd hire them. You'd pay them. You'd pay people to come and cry. That was expected. That was how you honored the dead. By weeping and crying and carrying on in a, in a great way. And so that's what's going on. And as, they, as he sees this, as he enters into them, uh, in fact, he tells them, why are you making such commotion and weeping? The child has not died, but is asleep. They all began to laugh at him. But he, he put them all out, and he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. He takes the father in. And so, can you imagine Jairus? I mean, he's, he's seeing the wailing. His wife has been there. His daughter is dead. Everybody knows she's dead. They can tell she is dead. They know what death looks like. More so than we in the modern age where we don't, you know, we don't deal with a whole lot of death. Most people. Some people do. But you know, back in the day, there was a lot of death in life. And some of you grew up, you know, you'd butcher your own animals, you'd take care of your own chickens. You saw death. You knew what death looked like. A lot of people these days, you know, you have to pay a lot of money and go out and experience that kind of death. It doesn't just happen in our lives. They knew what death looked like. They knew she was dead. Jesus comes in and says she's not dead, she's merely asleep. Is he lying? What is his game? You know, right there in that moment, he is saying an untruth. To, in a certain viewpoint, yeah, he is. She is currently dead, and he says she's not dead, she's asleep. You could say that is not true. But that's only because Jesus' greater truth, what he is getting at is that he is going to raise her from the dead, that she is just asleep as long as he is around that she will be raised up again, that she has been dead for such a short time. And even in, in Scripture throughout, the, the people who are dead, Paul talks about people who have died and, and, and refers to them as if they sleep. It's because the expectation of the resurrection is when you go and lay down, you're going to get up again. So yes, physically her body is dead. She is no longer be breathing. Her heart is no longer beating. But he says she's just asleep. I think there's another reason for that. And it comes in verse 40, uh, yeah, 43. He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. I think that's why he said it. That way when, when she's alive afterwards and everybody's like, wait a minute, we could have sworn she was dead. Well, no, remember he said she was just asleep. And they can actually discount the miracle. Because he doesn't at this time in his life and his ministry want everybody to know what he's doing. He wants to keep it quiet. And then he tells them to give her something that she should be given to eat because she is truly awake, truly alive, truly walking around. And part of the proof there is give her something to eat. That's a confirmation for us that she is alive. 
But notice, he took her father and her mother in with him. The father had faith to come and get Jesus. He had faith after hearing that his daughter was dead when Jesus said, don't be afraid any longer, only believe. He had faith to walk with Jesus to the house. Not understanding, not knowing, but trusting. Something's going to happen. Jesus will do something. I don't know what He'll do, but He's going to do something. We see a similar thing in Abraham when he takes Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice. That He had faith. He didn't know what was going to happen. God had told him to sacrifice his son. And Hebrews tells us that he thought, well, God can raise the dead. So we, we get the picture from the book of Hebrews that Abraham was thinking, I'll sacrifice my son and then God will give him back to me somehow. I don't know how. And of course, he didn't have to do that. When God saw Abraham ready to sacrifice Isaac, he stopped him. So Abraham was right. God would do something. He just didn't know what. Both of these stories, the woman of bleeding and the daughter being raised from the dead, both of them come to people who have faith. Varying degrees. The, the woman believed if she just touched. Jairus, we don't know how much he believed. He, he was wrestling with fear, with, with, with sorrow, and yet he believed. And to both of them, they received salvation. They received healing. The daughter was raised from the dead. And the woman, her bleeding was stopped, dried up. And what we see as, as the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives, the people who have faith, we see that what we are being told here, because remember, uh, women were not looked at in the same way as men. And, and both, the woman and the daughter, just think about this. The daughter being dead, Jesus would not be ceremonially clean after touching her as a corpse. When they get in there, remember he took the child by the hand and he said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. He touched her. He touched a corpse. If you touched a corpse, you were unclean for the rest of the day. You'd have to go and be purified priests, the high priest wasn't even allowed to touch a corpse. The high priest could not take care of his own family when they died. Other people had to. He was not allowed to get involved because of this. And yet the Son of God touches the corpse. And He gives her life again. The Son of God has touched a woman with the issue of blood which was unclean and He heals her. Salvation isn't just for the healthy. It's not just for the rich or the men. Salvation is for all who have faith. Salvation is, is for all who have faith. If we just believe. And, and, and it's so much more than just, I have an idea. But if we, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have faith in Him that He will restore us, that He will guide us, that He will heal us, that if we go in through trials and tribulations, that He will walk the, through them with us. If we have faith in Him, it doesn't matter who you are, salvation has come for you. 
Salvation is for you if you have faith. And that's what Jesus is, that's what Mark is showing us in this passage with these two a woman and a little girl. Salvation is for them as well. And so I want to I want to close by going back to that first question. What will it take to turn you to Jesus? We have seen that that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of those who have faith. We've seen that salvation is for all who have faith. And if you're here today, it's not too late. And even if you feel like it's too late, if you feel too far gone, it is not too late for Jesus Christ. So what will it take to place your faith in Him and to trust Him for salvation but also for how we live our lives. For the troubles and the trials that you are facing today, the hardships that you are undergoing this year, what will it take to turn you to Jesus? To hope in Him? To reach out to Him? To walk in faith with Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We recognize, Lord, that You make known to us salvation from faith to faith. And we see that in the the transmission of faith in this passage. That the woman's faith in Jesus displayed Your salvation for those that were around. And Father, that, that Jesus was able to encourage Jairus to believe, to have faith, and not to be afraid any longer. Lord, we pray the same for ourselves. Help us not to be afraid any longer, but to have faith. That we would trust in You. That we would hold on to You and hope in You no matter what is coming. Lord, we have physical struggles. We have health issues. We have financial struggles. Some of us, Lord, we have made decisions and and we're feeling cotton traps of our own creation. And I wonder how is this going to come through? Lord, help us to turn our eyes to You. To place our faith in You. To trust in You. That You will bring us the salvation we need whether it is salvation to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that You would save us from the things that we worry about, the ruin that we might have brought upon ourselves even. Lord, may we have faith in You. Guide us to that faith, Lord. Strengthen that faith in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.